You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Chapter number eight, we'll read at verse number two, if you'd like to stand with me. Deuteronomy 8, verse number 2. One verse of Scripture. I'm actually going to read this in the original King James uh, translation uh, rather than the New King James, which I tend to use because it's easier for us to understand with our modern patterns of language. Uh, But uh, usually uh, I like to read in various translations. And uh, I loved the way the King James said this. Deuteronomy 8 and 2, and thou shalt remember all the way. Somebody say all the way. All the way. way. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. You should remember all of it. Turn to your neighbor and say, remember all of it. Yeah, see, no one was excited about that. Did you kind of feel that little really? Kind of like, remember all of it. You know, and I know, there's plenty you wish you could forget. But Moses has one final message before, for you before you enter the promised land. Remember all the story. Somebody say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. All right, so this passage in the book of, of Deuteronomy is Moses' last great sermon that is off, offer, offered to the people. I guess, well, hallelujah. Testing. Praise the Lord. Is that good? Testing, testing. I'm on tenor, <laughs> tenor one. All right, sorry about that, guys. Let's start again. How about that? Is that all right? Let's praise the Lord one more time. Lord Jesus, we magnify you. Amen. Note to sound department, check batteries. <laughs> I love all those guys. Those guys work hard, and they have a tough job tough job. In the last week, I've had people mad at me because the church is too loud, and people mad at me because the church was too dead. And it's all on them. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) So, uh, you guys do a great job, and I love you. All right, so uh, we are seeing Moses' last message, last message given to the children of Israel before they enter the promised land. I, I want to share this with you, and I want you to agree with this in your spirit. I don't want you just to listen on a mental level. I want you to agree within your spirit. It is difficult to enter into the promised land. I want you to look back at your life, at the various stages the Lord has brought you through, the times of growth, the times of change. It is painful to go from one place to another level, a new dimension, a new uh, place of God's ministry. It is very, very painful. We all of us, we all of us must grow. None of us are content or complete where we are. We must grow. Smile at your neighbor. Say, that was for you. 
Yes. And so we all of us see in the scripture how whenever God gives us the story of a man or woman of God becoming, it is always given to us in the sense of a journey. They are always shown to us as some form of an itinerant or wandering nomadic preacher or pilgrim or promise holder. We are all of us pilgrims and we are all of us preachers, whether you use a microphone or not, and we are all of us promise holders. Can I have an amen? And so we are in this process, this journey, this walking forward. And the truth is, it is painful for all of us. There, there is no birth of anything new without labor. And there's not a mother in this house that can tell you they were worried about their hair when they gave birth. You can't keep your hair pretty and give birth to a child. You can't even keep a sweet expression on your face, women, and give birth to a child. It will nearly kill you, women, and I know next to nothing about it. And just between me and you, I just want to do my part. And that's all I want to do, and I'm going to leave the rest with you. That was funny. I don't care what y'all say. I want, I, 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 there's not a mother here that we don't respect for what you went through to have your children. That's right. It is painful. It nearly kills you. And there is no way in this green earth that God has given us where we can become a who, hear me, and what God wants us to be without pain. We all of us think that we can do it the easy way. We think if we find the right way, the right song, the right preacher, that we can become what God would have us to be without pain. But I'm here to tell you, there is no new birth without pain pain, something is nearly going to die in order for that which is new to be birthed. And so it is in our walk. It is painful. And when you read the story of the children of Israel going from a culture of slavery to being promise holders, being people who are given a place by God, as a people of God, to hold the possession of God, it is a very painful process for them to go through. I don't want to always be looking for an easy way. I want to be looking for God's way. I wish that some of you guys believed that when I said that. I'm not looking for an easy way. I'm looking for God's way. Because if I do it my way, I will become what I want to be. But if I do it God's way, I will become what God wants me to be. And that's not the same thing. And when you see the story of the Exodus, I want you to know it's a story filled with, uh, how shall we say this, error. There is error in this story. Uh, There is embarrassing sin in this story. There is doubt in this story. There is all manner of people who are falling short of where they should be, who they should be. The story begins with the people having God himself say, You guys can't win a fight today. We've got to avoid fights for a while. You are barely holding on to what little faith you've got. And so the Bible says that the Lord did not take them the way of the Midianites, but he took them the way of the wilderness. Because he knew when God himself looks at you and says, Honey, you're fragile. 
you best not be talking tough because you are barely holding it together. When God himself says you are fragile, you can't handle a fight right now, don't go picking a fight just because your mama raised you mean. You are not ready for a fight if God says you're not ready for a fight. And he takes them, and that's how it starts. And then they have days when things are good. You see Miriam taking a timbrel. Oh, my Lord, I wish I could preach today. And she says, it's time to praise God. He has delivered us from the horse and the chariot of Egypt. And she began to praise God. And a whole worship service was started. And all the house of Israel rejoiced together. Isn't that awesome? That's what I want to remember. That's what I want to remember. But that's not all the story. Not long after that, they're filled with doubt. They're filled with fear. They're filled with trouble. Let me tell you, every time God is trying to do something, every single time, every single time. Somebody say every time. You need to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. You need to have a clue. How does Satan attack the church? Satan does not attack the church by dragging a half-naked woman through here. If we have a half-naked woman in here, hopefully she'll be in this altar and she'll be making some progress toward her toward God and toward faith. But the enemy is not going to drag a half-naked woman through here, drag it with a, a six-pack on this arm and a big old bong on this arm and come wandering through the church saying, anybody want to party? That's not going to be how the enemy attacks the church. Because if there's one place you can act righteous, it's up in the church house. Now at your house, you might be like, hey. But in the church house, you're like, my God, that's not of the Lord. That's not of the Lord. You know how you are. That's not how the enemy attacks the church. The enemy attacks God's people always with the same thing. He cannot defeat us, but he only uses these tactics against the people of God. Somebody say fear and confusion. Every time you're on the verge of a breakthrough, every time you are on the verge of becoming who God would want you to be, how are you going to be attacked? Fear and confusion. If it's the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, how are they going to be attacked? Fear and confusion. If you're coming out of conference, how are you going to be attacked? Fear and confusion. If you want to write it down, it's okay by me. Just send me a royalty check every now and then. Fear and confusion every single time. Fear and confusion. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, but he can talk you off the walls of your victory. He can talk you out of your place of anointing. He can talk you out of where you are. He just can't defeat you. And so, Fear and confusion come in the camp. They have confusion in how they should worship. And they start casting about, what should we do? Moses has been gone for a while. and How did they do it? How did, how, how, what are we used to? And they get together and they think, well, let's do it the way they did it in Egypt. And that's how the whole idea of the calf, uh, the golden calf, is resurrected. And then they worship like they worshiped in Egypt. And the people fall into idolatry, which is spiritual immorality. Are you seeing? Spiritual. They are cheating on God, spiritual immorality, and they go all their own, and, and Moses comes down from the mountain. It is ugly. He is furious. He throws down the law. You guys know the story, and let me confess to you, I would like to forget about that part of the story. Nobody's running the aisles on that part of the story. No one's saying hallelujah on that part of the story. On that part of the story, it is embarrassment all around. The church is embarrassed. The preacher's embarrassed, and God's mad. 
can't we forget about that part of the story, Moses? Wouldn't it be good for us if we just swept that into the dustbin of our individual history? Surely you don't want us to remember that. And Moses says, no, 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 no. Thou shalt remember all the way which the the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years. Stay with me. I was studying this week and I was preaching this message to myself. And I got convicted and I was like, all right, so if you quit preaching to others and you applied the message to you, how would the message change? And I begin to think of times in my life that I wish I could forget. The pain is too great. There were, there were three big moments in my life that are moments like the most the, the, the most awkward and the most painful. There's moments that are, you know, they're embarrassing. I, I'll never forget preaching as a young preacher. There's certain subjects young preachers should never get on, just so you know. If you're a young person you want to preach, if you would like a list of subjects that you should never get on, just see me after church, and I will give you a list of subjects you know nothing about. And even if you did know something about it, you'd probably mess it up. And that's what I did, and I did it. I did it in front of the whole uh, team that had been sitting by the Bible school, all my peers sitting out there, and the dean of theology of my school sitting on the platform, and I preached on this subject I had no business preaching on, and I made a fool of myself, and to this day, them suckers won't let me live it down. (laughs) I embarrass myself, but that's kind of funny, and if I told, I I wouldn't tell it like in a public way, but individually, I'll tell you the story sometime if you want to catch me somewhere, and then you can laugh at me too. I don't mind. Everybody else did. You might as well get something out of it too. You know, Bible says offenses must come, and I just want to be a blessing, so... Uh, but there's other times I, I, that, that were breaking times to me, and I thought I was dying. I, uh, I wanted out of the ministry. I, I wanted I wanted to go just, you know, find a city and find a church, and I wanted to start a business. I've always been pretty good at business. Now, to this day, I feel like you could boot me out of the church, and in about two years, I'd be rolling. I just have that confidence, and uh, that's what I wanted to do. And um, I, I, I look back at shame with those moments. Because a man of God is not supposed to be that easily torn from his purpose. You see, God does not choose us for talent. There is more talent in the nightclubs than there are in a lot of the churches. There are more talents on stages that glorify the ways of the flesh than there are on churches glorifying the things of God. The devil does not choose us for our talent. Some of the most talented people in the world are probably borderline demon-possessed. Oh, don't get quiet on me now. God doesn't choose us for our talent. He chooses us for our availability and our ability to perceive his mission in our life. God is looking for someone to stand in his hedge. You see, there's something that is missing in your world, and he's looking for somebody who can represent what is missing and fulfill not your purpose, not my purpose, but God's purpose in the world. That's how God chooses us. There are people in prison today that can preach better than I can preach. They can quote the Bible frontwards and backwards, but they're in prison today, and I'm the one with the microphone. You hear what I'm saying? God chooses you on more than your talent, on more than your abilities. God chooses you by a different set of criteria. 
But once you've been chosen from God, you're supposed to buy into that. You're supposed to know it to your bones. You're supposed to be able to stand alone. What do you think the message of the Gospels is when Jesus says to his own disciples, uh, even your family can turn against you, but you had better not turn away from this. Your friends may not understand, but don't you look back. Don't you turn away. You're supposed to be resolute. It's one thing to just talk about how you're this or you're that, but the moment you start saying you're a man of God, you better be made of something. The moment you start saying you're a woman of God, you better be made of something. Because when the trouble comes, you can't fall away like a flower before the heat. Because the trouble's coming. I never forget my wife and I. One of the lowest moments of my life is uh, we were in a revival at a church, quite large church. And let me just say, if if your main exposure to the larger apostolic movement has been uh, one or two churches, or you, or your exposure has been in one district, honey, all due respect, you do not have a clue. You do not know what the broader organization looks like. There is such a range in our organization that you just need to you you just need to just just take it on faith because, you know, you would have to do what we did and travel. There are churches that are so one way, it would blow your mind. And there are churches so far the other way, it would blow your mind. And so that's what we were exposed to. And we went to this church and we started a revival and we prayed through an African-American family as part of the revival. And they loved us and we loved them. We shouted in the altar with them. We we shouted up and down when they got the Holy Ghost. And uh, my wife and I, we were, we were as happy as we could be but this church, they had this belief, and they were quite successful. At what time they had run nearly, uh, nearly a thousand people. Huge building. The, the the church had shrunk. It had shrunk every year. That's what happens when ch- churches turn inward, and it had shrunk, and now it's a lot smaller. But um, I hadn't noticed there were no African American families in the church. I, I didn't notice. I just got up and did my thing and preached. And and uh, but when we prayed this African American family through, the board called us all in, and the first thing they did was they fired me because of this family had come into the church. And they said, revival is over. We're ending the revival right now. I'm like, okay, well, the pastor of that church, who has actually preached in this pulpit, but I won't tell you his name, uh, he, uh, he, he appealed and he fought with the board and he said, no, no, we can't operate this way. We can't operate this way. And the board told him, if you don't like it, we'll fire you too. And in the same week, I got kicked out of the church and the pastor got kicked out of the church because we had an African-American family get prayed through during that revival. And when I laid hands on them in the altar, I didn't know that there was going to be a church fight over it. And when we prayed those two little girls, here, two teenage girls, beautiful girls, we prayed them through. We didn't know there was going to be a fight over it. But they came and they told us that. And I went and I sat down in my little RV that my wife and I lived in. And I was so mad. I told my wife, and y'all forgive me because when you're a man of God, you're not supposed to feel this way. I said, honey, this is stupid. Why are we wasting our lives? doing this when these people they can be aligned up in every regard but they'll split the church over one African American family coming into that church and I told her I said I don't care how good they think they are that is not of God there's only one heaven and it's not going to look like you and your cousin it's going to look like every tribe and every kindred under the sun This is still a problem in that same
same city. And that church is still right where it was uh, when we were there 20 years ago. They have about the same amount of people. They have, they all look just alike. In fact, we just had a lady from the same district come to our church and she wept as she saw us anointing all different types of people. White people playing, praying with black people, praying with Hispanic people, praying with Asian people. And she wept in our church a few weeks ago and she told the people she was staying with who are part of our church, I have never seen a church where people who are totally different backgrounds anoint one another. And I was like, what, what apostolic, what so-called apostolic movement are you a part of? But that's not, that's easy to say now because I'm the preacher here and this church is bought into a vision and it's not just my vision, but it's from way back vision. But hear me today. Hear me when I say this. That's the good sounding side of the story. The bad sounding side of the story is I begin to plan to get out of the ministry. I begin to look at what I could do and I had other pastors call me. I had, I was supposed to be there for the rest of the month and they canceled me and I had other pastors call me and said, come continue revival at our church. We believe in you. And I was so wounded in my spirit. I was so angry in my heart that when they did that, I told them all no. I wanted to preach for some of them. Some of them were good churches. I told them all no. And my wife and I, I told her, I said, I, I, I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to go uh, somewhere and hide. And we parked our trailer in a field and we sat out there and I didn't do much of nothing. I didn't talk to anybody. I sat in my little chair and I sat there and I made my plans. That's not what you're supposed to do when you're a man of God. When you're a man of God, if they put a gun at you, you're supposed to say, I'm willing to die. God gave me this vision. God burned this in my soul. I didn't make this up myself. God called me. You didn't call me. My family didn't call me. My college didn't call me. My organization didn't call me. God called me. And when you're a man of God, if you can't look at the trouble and say, though it costs me everything, this is what God has called me to do. If you can't say that, you need to go back to the altar and you need to say, God, am I really about your business? I'm ashamed to say I started making plans. I'm ashamed not to say that I started thinking about what kind of business I wanted to start and where I wanted to live. But that's the whole truth. That's the truth I want to bury. That's the truth I'm embarrassed by. Men of God aren't supposed to flinch in the face of trouble. And that's what I wanted to dig a hole in the ground and bury. And God said to stand before you today and tell you all the story. It was the second time in my life I tried to get out of the ministry. I had moved to a particular state to live. I thought I had a lot of pastors there who supported me, loved me, loved my ministry. And so we moved there. My wife was going to college. I'm a big believer in the fact that we should empower women. Women are not possessions. We don't own our women. I know you can string your two or three scriptures together and act all superior, but honey, the Bible says sons and daughters shall prophesy. So when your daughter starts to prophesy, don't you shut her down and say, women, be silent. No, that's in the Bible too. And we moved there. 
But some things happened in the politics of this district. Not this district, that district. And uh, this district was having its own problems with politics, religious politics. All organizations of humanity have politics. It's not a good or bad thing. It's just a thing. It's a human thing. So you can't really be cynical about it. It is what it is. We just try to use it for good, right? And so um, for whatever reason, all the open doors I had there closed. And I got where the only way I could make a living was by leaving the district to go somewhere else. And so I got where I would leave my wife for a month at a time, and I'd go to all the way out to California, and I'd preach for a month. It's the only way we could live. And then I'd come home, and I'd be home for a few weeks, and I expected that these churches would open up. I didn't know all the politics that was going on in the district. I didn't know that I was being labeled as something, being with somebody else who the certain people in the district didn't like. I didn't know that when I'd preach for this person, all these brethren now decided they wouldn't preach for them, they wouldn't use me. And this was my livelihood. And so I just kept going along, driving a thousand miles out to California, driving a thousand miles all the way down to Florida. And that's where I preached. And I got bitter in my heart because there were some people there who could have helped me. They could have helped me. All they had to do was just say the right thing at the right place. And I knew it and they knew it and they decided not to do it. And I got so bitter. I got so bitter church came open I thought was the will of God for me to go to. I really did. I honestly thought it was the will of God for me to go there. I prayed and I fasted. They were going to have me preach for them. Try out is what they call it. I was going to try out for the church. and I preached every day all, all week long. I couldn't wait to preach. I was preaching for my I was singing for my breakfast, <laughs> singing for my dinner. I preached all day, and on the Saturday when I was packing my car to go up and preach that, preach for that church, they called me and said, oh, by the way, we forgot to tell you, we elected another pastor last week. And at that moment, I don't know why that was the log jam, because uh, I didn't want to come to Charlotte. I didn't. I know that sounds terrible because you guys are such an awesome, beautiful people, but I, to me, that was always my dad's. That wasn't mine. And although I've spent as much time here as anybody, <laughs> and I've worked on everything the church ever has to work on, practically, <laughs> um, I just, it, I always said no, and I, 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 that, at that moment, it all came together. It all came together. My brethren wouldn't make a place for me. The people who could have helped me would not help me. And the place I just knew that God was sending me shut the door. And at that moment, I decided deep in my soul, I'm done. And I'm ashamed to tell you that today. Because a man of God is supposed to be able to look into the trouble and say, you can kill me. But God's given me a vision. And you can deny me. But God's put a fire in my heart. You can threaten me with a sword. But I'm never giving up. I'm not to answer you in this manner because I was called by God and not a cracker, back, cracker jack box. But at that moment, in my flesh and in my fear, I said, that's it. I'm done. And I thought I was done. I thought I was. I begin to make my plans. I'm going to do something else. I'll find someplace else. That's the stories I don't want to tell you. Makes me look bad. Makes me look weak. But Moses had one last direction before you enter the promised land. He said, you're going to remember.
makes you want to jump up and down and say, yippee-ki-yay, and aren't I a good preacher, and can't I sing? Y'all know how good I can sing. I'm one of the finest singers you've ever heard, and I just want to jump up and down and say, look how good, but that's only part of the story because the truth is you need to know all the story. So when you get to the promised land, you can say in your heart, it was worth it all. was worth it all. If you can only look at the blessings in your life and say it was worth it, you're not really deeply founded and grounded in this thing. If you just can look at the happy times and say that was worth it, you're not really committed. You need to remember when you were flat on your back and you were alone and you were afraid. Some of you have been wounded. Isn't it interesting that the most painful wounds are not from people afar off? It's not in the house of your enemies that the most painful wounds. It's in the house of your friends. That's the most painful wounds. And we see that in the scripture. And it's true for all of us. It's not just true for the ministry and the laity. No, no. It's true for all of us. And it's in those moments when someone accused. Have you ever been accused of something you're absolutely innocent of? You just been, you, you, you are absolutely innocent of what you've been accused of. Some of you have. Some of you are afraid to admit it. Uh, how many of you have been accused of something that um, it, it was true, but they so twisted it, by the time they were done with it, it was a lie? You ever been accused like that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is what I want to say to you. If you have been wounded in the house of your friends, it's going to be worth that too. Paul has to be rescued from believing Jews by the Roman Empire. And he is going to stand and say it was worth it all. I'm not just going to tell you the good stories. I'm going to tell you the whole story. And then I'm going to say it was worth it all. Your testimony doesn't come out of your shout. It comes out of your test. I haven't preached any of my notes here today, but I've preached my heart. So (laughs) all the way my Savior leads me, the songwriter Fanny Crosby wrote, all the way my Savior leads me, not just when everything works out, but even in the bad times, my Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of his love, perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above when my spirit clothed in mortal wings its flight to realms of day this my song through endless ages Jesus led me all the way all the way I've come to tell somebody here today weeping endures but it's going to be worth it all you are going to be misunderstood but it's going to be worth it all not everybody is going to see your heart or understand your heart but it's going to be worth it all not everybody's going to walk with you but it's going to be worth it all every long mile every hard trial every time you got back up again I'm here to tell you if you're hurting don't stay down in that place of your wound come out of that place it's going to be worth it all and out of that is going to be the testimony that God kept me 
you know why we need to know the whole story? Is because unless we can tell the whole story, the people who need it will not be helped by it. You ever have a friend who they, every time you talk to them, all they can talk about is something that's happened to them that's better than what's happened to you? You know, it is scientifically proven that, that social media, like Facebook, will make you unhappy. Isn't that funny? That's, uh, seriously, Google some studies on it. Because everybody, they tend to post, you know, their new job or their new boyfriend or their new dress or their new, and you're thinking, my God, I'm stuck with the same old ignorant job and the same old thoughtless boyfriend. And I, you know what I'm talking about. And you just wish that something cool would happen to you. Hear me. Why do you think the Bible, hear me, if I made any of you uncomfortable about telling, and I do this not too infrequently, so if I make any of you uncomfortable by being transparent like that, I want you to know this, that there is lots of precedent for it in the Bible. (laughs) We know all the junk. It's not hidden. If you only tell the good of what you've been through, there's a lot of people who won't get anything from it. Because, honey, they have fought for every inch of ground they've ever gotten. They drug themselves out of one hurting place. You know, some people love, some people love to be wounded. I I, I like to describe them as wounds looking for knives. Seriously, they're like wounds looking for knives. They they love to be offended or wounded, and and uh, they don't they don't last very long really uh, in, in any friendship or relationship because they're just a wound looking for a knife. And when you show up and you can be seen as a knife, they're like, oh, I was wounded. Okay, okay, okay. You were wounded. Let's not live there. Let's come out. It's going to be worth it. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Come out of that wounded place. Come out. It is absolutely necessary for those of us who are seeking to know the Lord and walk with the Lord. Yes, it is necessary for us to be committed and resolute. But if you don't feel resolute and if you are struggling, hear me today when I say, before God is done with your story, he will make a testimony of his keeping power out of your story of pain and misunderstanding and loss. Remember what I said earlier, I'm almost done. I said earlier, the enemy will always talk, attack you with fear and confusion. If anything good's happening in your life, if anything good's happening in your church, if you're on the edge of the promised land, how's the enemy going to attack you? Fear and confusion. If you'd like to write that down, I'd like you to write it down and put it on your, 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 the refrigerator of your heart, you know, where you spend all your time. You just put it right there. The enemy will always attack me through fear and confusion. How then do we overcome these low places in our life when we're being attacked by fear and a confusion? This is how we do it. We speak faith to fear and we speak vision to confusion. The 
inverse of that is how you say amen to the devil. This is how you say amen to the devil. You know how you say amen to the preacher? The preacher says, God's not dead. You say, amen. He is alive. Amen. See, I got you trained. Or at least I got Lisa trained. Praise God. But if fear comes to you and you echo fear to fear, you're saying amen to the attack of the enemy. You speak faith to fear. And you speak vision to confusion. And someone, well, I don't know why. I don't know why the young people are doing that. I don't know why the seniors are doing that. And I don't know why the preacher's doing that. And I don't know why the band's doing that. And I don't know why the Don and Ed on the front row are doing that. And I, I don't either, actually, now that the subject has been brought up. <laughs> you speak vision to confusion and you speak faith to fear if you have no faith that's a different problem and if you have no vision that's a different problem but the way we fight the enemy in the church don't act like the serpent is outside the garden the serpent is inside the garden the serpent is in our hearts that nature against god in league with rebellion is within us it's within it it is always there knocking at the heart door how do you fight it you speak faith to fear and you speak vision to confusion and so i am going to speak faith to anybody's fear here today i don't know what you're going through but if god's on your side honey you're going to make it with bells on are you hearing what I'm saying? I don't know what you're dealing with, but if God's on your side, you're coming out of that trial. I don't know if you're going in the fiery furnace or not, but if the fourth man in the fire is with you in the fiery furnace, honey, you are coming out. Let's all stand. Now... I'm going to speak vision to confusion. Well, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I, I don't know about this. I'm worried about that. God has many souls in this city. But, 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 but God has anointed you for such a time as this. But, 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 but if God did not think you could come through your trial, he wouldn't have put you in your trial. But, 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 I am speaking vision to confusion. But even if you fall, and even if you fail, I want you to remember all of it. Because when God is done with you, you shall come forth as purified gold. And every error will testify of God's mercy. And every mercy will testify to the fact that his grace is greater than your error and your sin. And there is hope in the house.
house of God. I've come to tell you this. It's going to be worth it all. Every time a family member didn't understand you, every time a friend hurt you without meaning to, or if they meant to, it's going to be worth that too. All of you leaders, every time someone criticized you in your area of leadership and you felt so foolish and you felt so undercut, I don't want you to forget it. I want you to remember it because when God's done with it, there's going to be a testimony of his keeping, sustaining power. Oh, we're going to have a prayer service right now. All of my leaders, I want you to come stand down across the front here, those of you who help us pray in the altar. If you have a special need in your life here today, if you are facing something, we're about to have an anointing service here at the conclusion, and I want you right now to see that this moment of the service is for you. We're not rushing past it. We're not making small of it. This part of the service is for you. If you have a need in your life right now, would you begin to step out of the chair you're in and begin to come stand across this front. I want you guys who are coming with a special need to come first. In just a moment, we're all going to come, but I want those of you with a special need, I want our my, my leaders to see you. I want them to mark you so they can anoint you with oil. That's right. Come quickly. Come quickly. Now, church, I want to invite all of you who would like to to come and stand behind all of these. And let's turn this whole house into an anointing service for a little while. And let's speak the name of Jesus over every individual, over every heart. And let's claim an apostolic intervention in our lives here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Oh, God, we are calling upon you. We are calling upon you. We know you are able and you are mighty and it is your name whereby we have victory. We praise you today because praise comes through the name of Jesus. We're praying for every individual here today. Don't lead us, let us leave here with the same fear perhaps that we came in with. Don't let us have the same doubt and question that we had when we first came here, oh God. Jesus, I pray today that you would touch us. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.